Greetings, my fellow educators, and welcome to another edition of the podcast. My name is Brian. I hope your week has been a good one. I'm not alone. I'm with a special guest, friend of the show, Dr. James Huey, or as I like to call him, Uncle James, and he's going to join me here in just one minute. I wanted to talk about this past week. It's been a good week. We had parent-student conferences to where the students were leading the meetings and talking about their strengths and some of their challenges. And I'm proud to say that overall, that the environment was positive from the parents. I know a lot with social media and various outlets out there, it seems like the voices of rage are outnumbering the voices of reason. But a lot of the parents that I was able to talk with were very supportive, very thankful for the environment we were providing their child or positive influence and how pleased they were with how the school year was going. I walked away feeling pretty good about what we were doing as a team of teachers at my school there and hopeful that the rest of the semester is going to go well for sure. And I know many of you guys are struggling out there. Not everyone is feeling good about the teaching profession with the latest headlines. It can be a very discouraging field. And many of you have said that this year is actually tougher than last year. Quite a bit have said you're not coming back or you're not sure if you're coming back. So the goal of today's program is just to give you some food for thought to help you in the decision-making process. So I know a lot of you are deciding what you want to do for next year. Do you take the leap and do something different? Uh, do you stay in it, hoping it gets better? And my guest, Dr. James Huey, is going to help us with that decision-making process and give us some motivation, some food for thought as we attempt to finish the school year. And not just struggling, but hopefully feeling good about what you were able to accomplish and finishing strong. I think that's the end result we all want, whether we come back for another year or decide to leave the teaching profession. Without further ado, I'm going to Dr. James Huey. Dr. Huey is a friend of the program. He's done a couple of episodes and he has his own podcast. And I'm going to give you the information about that a little bit later. Yes, he's a podcaster himself. And he's in his 80s, believe it or not. Amazing. And he's got <laughs> lots of wisdom to share gray with us. Gray sure. hair to prove it. Uncle, let's talk about your teaching journey and how did you wind up as a teacher in your own classroom many decades ago? It was an indirect route and once again shows that in spite of one's plans for life, sometimes life takes you on a different route. I was going to college. And I needed money in order to finish. And the state of Maryland said, if you will teach for a year, we will pay for your school and books and all of your expenses for one year. Every year that you promise to teach, we'll cover you. So I took them up for two years. So I delayed my uh, planning to go to law school. I was determined to be the next Perry Mason. And lo and behold, I got into teaching. And after two years, I realized that Perry Mason and I were never going to meet again. So interesting. You didn't go into teaching as this calling, but you saw it as a means to an end to pay off my pay scholarship. Off. That is exactly right. It was just a one of those paths in the road, which is why I firmly believe in the power of planning. But I've certainly learned very early that no matter what one plans, 
sometimes life offers you a junction that's not in the plan and it really can take you to a better place. Well, let's talk about that first year of teaching. Were you the Mr. Keaton of Dead Poet Society that first year? The first year was primarily to survive. How so? I was into teaching because I was trying to pay back a loan. I had absolutely no desire, thirst, or quenching of any kind trying to be a good teacher. I just wanted to survive. I had 200 ninth graders. I had a classroom with 40 desks. And in one class, I had 44 students. So first year was just survive. And then when I survived the first year, the second year gave me a chance to really learn the power of teaching, the effects that it can have, and and reoriented my way of thinking. I always thought going into teaching that I was the source of knowledge, and it was my job to give it to the students. And I realized, gosh, this is a joint effort. They're teaching me while I am teaching them. It was a very exciting awareness and turned my career path. You also found that students were eager to talk with you and eager to be heard. One of the things when I went into teaching, I thought the most important thing was what the teacher said and that it was really important for me to come in with great wisdom to impart to my students each day. And then when I finally realized that this was a joint learning experience, I was learning and they were learning. We weren't learning the same thing, but we were both in the process of learning and we helped one another. And one of the things I found with students is they have been subjected to teachers who wanted to talk, but very few of them wanted to listen to hear what they needed to learn or how they were going to adapt to the current stresses in their lifestyle. How do you define true listening? Someone who can understand the total package, not only the words, the voice, the body posture, the ability to interact, the ability to repeat back what was said, the ability to minimize the interjection of interpretation. I think listening is being able to care enough that someone has as much knowledge and probably even some areas a lot more than I have a chance to learn from them. I learn when I listen. And what were you finding out as you were listening to your students? That most of them did not have anyone to listen to them. The thing I noticed was that students would make a point to come to my classroom before school, after school, lunch hours, They were interested in talking because I gave them one simple promise. I did not promise answers. I did not promise anything that would indicate, I know what you need to do. What I offered was I would listen and I would do my very best to understand and care about them as individual humans. So you've said this on the program in previous episodes I've had you on, but for our new listeners, you were really big and just establishing a relationship with your students. And one of those strategies that you used to establish a relationship was truly listening to them. Tell us about that establishing a relationship with students, why you still, even to this day, see that as something that is very important and vital in classrooms. Well, one of the things I learned early was that teaching is a relationship. I had not really thought of that prior to my first two years of teaching. 
but I realize that it is a joint exercise between teacher and student. And teachers can learn and students can teach. So it was very important to be able to get to the point where we could just really be open. We could learn from one another. We could offer to one another. And the most important thing was that we could accept each other with all the pluses and minuses, assets, liabilities that each of us had. So it sounded like it turned into a very meaningful experience for you. Very much so. In fact, I feel so fortunate that one of the things that came out of that those first two years of teaching was that some of my students still associate and communicate with me and people that I would call dear friends years later. I mean, it has been over 50 years since we were teaching. I was in my early 20s and they were teenagers and lo and behold, they still find it of value. The effect that we had, the respect that we had for each other, the relationship. The relationship continued into friendship after the classroom. And that's astounding because this is long before text messaging, social media decades ago. And some of those students are still part of your life today. Very much so. And I think that some many times teachers underestimate the effect that they have on students. We have an effect, whether we are offering anything, whatever we're offering, it can be accepted. And whenever we're able to offer something that the individual student needs, wants, desires, and can incorporate into their belief and value system, then I think we have a connection. And I think the most effective teaching is when students and teachers can really connect as human individuals. And not every student may be receptive. Oh, very much so. One of the neat things about is that teachers like, generally as a rule, like to help. And I say we because that's generally part of who I see myself as being. But I also learned that not everyone wants to be helped. Not everyone wants input that I can offer or they may want help in something that I cannot offer. So I don't want to set myself up as being perfect any more than I want to set my students up for being perfect students or learners. So teaching is one of those fields where you can make a difference, yet so many of us are so discouraged as we go into the classroom day in and day out. How did you know when it was time for you to leave the classroom after you were experiencing some success with these students? Well, one of the things is that I learned very early is the power of experimental learning. I like to experiment. When I left the idea of being a lawyer and entered into teaching, the next thing I realized is that, you know, the main gift that I had to offer was relationships and guaranteeing a student that, yes, I can care. I'm going to work very hard to listen and understand what you're saying. So evolved. Once again, I left teaching. I moved into being a guidance counselor. And I realized that my path lay in the field of psychology rather than in the field of law. So in some ways, you stayed focused that this is your life story, not your students, not your co-teachers. This was your life story. And there were things you were wanting to experiment, try and do. Always. After I moved from guidance counselor, I moved into being a teacher of political science. 
And then I ran for Maryland's Constitutional Convention because I wanted to experiment with what it's like to be in politics. And then after that, I moved on to other things. Eventually got my doctorate in counseling psychology and decided it was time for clinical practice. And I did that for a while. I really look at my life as a series of experiments because each one of them gave me the chance to take what I had learned and apply it forward. And that to me is being able to reach this age and feel like life has been good. I feel very good about what I've been able to contribute. I feel very good about what I've been able to receive from the blessings of being able to interact with such a diverse and wide range of people. And teaching and experimenting something you're still doing with, as I mentioned, your podcasting and your writing blog post in your 80s. So that process continues even in your senior years here. Let's get to a point where certain teachers may be trying to make a decision about whether to leave the classroom or not. You know, maybe they've enjoyed it, but they're ready for the next step. Maybe teaching is not a good fit for them. What were some things that you kept in mind as you made your decision to go from one job to the next job? One thing I learned is that my decisions were mine. They are not decisions that anyone else can make for me. I have to make the decisions, and I want to take the personal responsibility for doing so. I also wanted to give myself permission. So many individuals take a path of saying they are not going to allow themselves the chance to make a mistake Mm -hmm. or to experiment and find that the path is not going to fit them. I believe that all through my life I have experimented, I found some paths that fit me for a short time, but not for the long haul, and others that seem to be very, very natural. Did you ever make the perfect decision? Never. I'm still, after all these decades, I am thankfully freeing myself up from ever making a perfect decision or even trying to do a perfect podcast or being a perfect friend or a perfect uncle to my nephews. I try to be human. And that's the thing that I sense that as teachers, we offer our students more than anything else, our humanness. You're really big on recognizing that each decision carries its assets and each decision will carry its liabilities. I do, because once again, and I've never made a perfect decision. I've never been perfect in my entire life path. I accept the fact that once again, I will do my very best and... I will free myself up from making perfect decisions so that whatever decision I make today, I have the power to redecide and I can change it for tomorrow. And then whatever I try tomorrow, I will make the same decision whether I want to continue or whether I'm ready for a change. And I think that regardless of our age, we need to be able to hopefully give ourselves that permission. I run into so many people who think that once they've decided to be a teacher, they are locked into that path forever. They can never take and broaden the field of education or the way of building an an educational teaching relationship into something more than just standing in the classroom. And if you decide to stay in the classroom or leave the classroom, each decision is going to bring its assets and each decision is going to bring 
it's liability. So there is no perfect decision. And you're a big believer that no decision is still a decision, yes? Yes. Uh, there are many people who procrastinate. They put off making a decision. Oh, I'll do that next year or maybe after the year or after the latest salary offer or after the kids leave for college or so forth and so on. There's always something that can procrastinate. And so I sense the decisions that I make are what assets do I have to offer to myself and to the new employment situation, new job situation, and then what can I receive? There will always be, as I say, the assets and the liabilities of no matter what way I decide. As teachers are trying to make a decision of whether to continue on or to leave, for many, their mental health is not too good. And mental health is something that you've been a big advocate of and what's worked well for you in keeping you mentally healthy that may be helpful to some of our uh, teachers out there. I guess I would narrow it down to two things. One is always keeping myself open to experimentation, keeping my idea that I can try something new, regardless of where I have been, I have the choice of where I am going tomorrow. And the second thing that has definitely affected my ability to maintain what I consider positive mental health is the relationships that I have. I am very fortunate to find people who want to relate to me. I find myself with a desire to connect with, understand, and care deeply about other human beings. Those two things have done more to keep me mentally healthy over particularly this pandemic phase mm. than almost anything else. What about shifting the magnifying glass or shifting your focus from something that's negative to something that's more positive and staying mentally healthy that way? Well, one of the choices, and we talked about earlier, the choices we have each day. Well, one of the things that I believe is that we have the choice of framing. How do we choose to frame it? Do I get up in the morning with the opportunity of this is going to be a good day for me to interact with X, Y, and Z? Or is this a chance for me to be able to share something that's exciting and knowledgeable to me with other people like my students? Or am I going to wake up with, ah, it's back to the wars. That may sound minor, but it does frame how you approach your day. And I believe how you frame it is going to make a world of difference because once again, you have the choice of where you choose your focus. The example I use is that everyone has a personal camera. We sometimes take pictures of scenery, people, animals, activities, whatever, but we get the choice. And it is with our personal attitude camera. We get to choose what kind of focus, feelings, thoughts, ideas, behaviors that we're going to exhibit that day. And we can focus on all the negative or we can focus on the positive. We have that choice. And the magnifying glass is that there's always good news. You can put your magnifying glass on top of it and really feel good about going in and teaching. Or you can feel lousy by putting up all the problems and I've lived a few decades, and there's always been problems. There always will be until the day I draw my last breath. What do you say to those people that say positive thinking isn't realistic? 
Well, I've never really understood, except that it seems to be someone who wants to somehow escape the decision or the responsibility is what I would say. The responsibility of saying, I want to choose positive thinking. If I clothe it with reality, somehow we can make it more acceptable. They don't want to use the word negative or the fact that they are having very disabling handicapping behaviors and thoughts. So they call it realistic, but that's not been my experience. I go back to what way am I going to frame my day? Where am I going to place my personal camera? And what is the magnifying? Am I going to focus on the positive things that help me feel better, the ways that help me relate better, et cetera? Or am I going to focus on the things that will make me depressed, very anxious, and want to get away from interacting with people? And both those positive things can be just as real as some of the negative things that you're experiencing. It's all how you frame it is what you're saying. And so there will always be problems. There were problems when I was born. There'll be problems when I die. I have no illusion that the problems of the world are going away. They will be there in some form or fashion. My decision, my power is the ability to choose how am I going to manage them? The choices that I make, so instead of focusing on all these angry parents on various news outlets or waking up and thinking, oh, I've got all these meetings to go to, shift that framing to something that's more positive, something that you enjoy and the interaction with the student that you're looking forward to. That's something that can help you uh, get through this school year. And you're a big believer at one day at a time, right? Very much so. And I'm a firm believer in that we take personal responsibility for the choices we make. I say that power for positive living is a choice. We choose which way we frame the camera. We focus on the attitudes that self-talk that we do with each other and with ourselves. We choose that. And that's the key thing is that if I'm sitting here waiting for all the angry parents to disappear, I might as well just give up now and go to my pine box. You do have an impact teachers, but when it's all said and done, as we said, this is your life story and maybe you're ready for that next step. Uh, maybe you just need to go to another school, whatever that is uh, works best for you. We hope that you take care of yourself. If you want to hear more from Dr. James Huey, or if you want to read his blog post or listen to his podcast, where can they find you? They can go to the old good old internet and type in PF pl.us. That's repeated, pfpl.us, and that stands for Power for Positive Living. Well, it's good having you on the show again, Uncle. It's been a long time and pretty amazing for a man in his 80s. So uh, tune in to his podcast. Check out his blog post, pfpl.us. Teachers, hang in there, and we'll catch you on a future episode. Y'all take care.